If you'll turn in your Bibles to Zephaniah, <laughs> that's a little known name we don't use very much, and sometimes he's confused with Zechariah, but there is a Zephaniah <laughs> that's in the Old Testament among the minor prophets. And as we continue in this series on the minor prophets, the title of this message is the royal prophet, the royal prophet, because Zephaniah If you'll notice as we read verse 1 here, he has a unique distinction in terms of his bloodline, of who he is. So let's read. Yeah, some of y'all still, you're flipping furiously trying to find it. I can hear you. (laughs) Hey, don't worry, I did the same thing. (laughs) So it's Zephaniah, and it's almost towards the end of the Old Testament. So in Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 1, let's read. The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah or Hezekiah in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. It's commonly believed among historians and commentators that Hezekiah, who he refers to right there in verse 1, is Hezekiah. And you Bible readers, and those of you that are familiar with history of the Word of God, Hezekiah was one of the good kings of the Old Testament. You read a lot about Hezekiah. You read about him in the, in the Kings and the Chronicles and in the book of Isaiah. So Hezekiah was a very notable and important revivalist in the Old Testament. He was a king who helped bring revival for at least some period of time to the nation of Judah. And of course, one of his descendants, I believe it would be a, a grandson or a great-grandson, would be Josiah. Okay? And Here we believe that Zephaniah was also a descendant of Hezekiah and he would be in the royal bloodline. So he would be a cousin to some degree or another to Josiah. Now I think it's interesting and we're going to, we're going to make a a few assumptions here tonight as we, as we look in the Chronicles in addition to Zephaniah, but there was a great revival. The greatest revival of the Old Testament occurred in the days of Josiah, who he refers to. He says that he prophesied in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. Ammon was one of the worst kings of the Old Testament of Judah. And then Hezekiah and and Josiah, they were some of the best kings. So you got Hezekiah, who was the grandfather of Josiah. We don't want to belabor the genealogy too much, but it's important to understand that it is believed that Zephaniah was of the royal bloodline. Now, obviously, he wasn't the king, but he was, he was a great-grandson of Hezekiah, apparently. And he also was a cousin, as I said, to Josiah, which is the king that was alive while he was prophesying. And nobody knows exactly the time frame that he prophesied within the days of Josiah, but it had to be, if you read chapter 2, verse 13, when it refers to the coming destruction of Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, it had to be before the destruction of Nineveh. And so you'll, you may recall some of the other places that we've looked at in the Minor Prophet series that talked about the destruction of Nineveh. So it's probably prior to the destruction of Nineveh. Now, Josiah was an amazing king, and he was eight years old when he began to, to reign. I'm going to speak in terms that we're familiar with, so it will hopefully make sense to us. And the Word of God, it'll say something like, he began to reign. Yeah, when he was eight years old, and it says in the 
tenth year of his reign, or the eighth year of his reign, and the twelfth year of his reign. I'm going to use the actual ages, so that makes more sense to me. So we know exactly how old Josiah was whenever the revival, greatest revival of the Old Testament came. And here's the point of Zephaniah, the royal prophet. I believe that it's very easy to see that as a cousin to the king, that Zephaniah most likely had an incredible influence. Because in the beginning of Zephaniah's prophecy, he is just hammering against the wicked prophets and the prophets of Baal and the false gods and all this type of stuff. He's hammering on them. And you'll see as we look in the Chronicles here in a minute that some changes were made in the days of the king Josiah. Somebody had to be listening to what Zephaniah was saying. There's only three chapters of Zephaniah, and we're not going to read all three. It wouldn't take long, but I encourage you to do that after we kind of do these overviews. So the royal prophet Zephaniah also prophesied in the days of Nahum, Habakkuk, and even Jeremiah. So there were some overlap there. As you've seen, all of the minor prophets to some degree or another had some kind of overlap. And Zephaniah has some, sometimes has gotten a bad rap, as we say, because he's not real poetical with his writing and he's kind of repetitive of some of the past stuff but he has some some new things in there too but i look at zephaniah in this way and some of the commentators do too zephaniah sort of summarized a lot of what the prophets were saying the minor prophets and he's very important because he's the ninth minor prophet and he is the last prophet listed prior to the Babylonian captivity. So sometime after the days of Josiah, which was a great time of revival, Josiah dies and then several years later, they go into Babylonian captivity. And the next minor prophets that we look at after Zephaniah are all gonna have to do with the return from captivity. Zechariah, Malachi, those guys, they all have to do with after the Babylonian captivity. And you, you say, well, I'm lost in the timeline. Well, you know Daniel, you know Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of those guys, Ezekiel, all of those guys are in the days of the captivity. So Zephaniah is the last one, the last of the minor prophets. We've looked at nine, by the way, I can't believe that, but we've looked at nine minor prophets. And that there's a division here from the ninth minor prophet, Zephaniah. Then you look to the next three, the last three, and those are going to be after the captivity. So Zephaniah is very important. He summarizes a lot of what the other prophets say, and then he also gives some incredible information. So as you see who he is, I want to primarily tonight, at least in the first part of what we're looking at, consider what happened as a result of his preaching and his prophesying. Because he, no question, had a, a connection to the king that some of the other prophets did not have. So let's look at Second Chronicles 34. One of my favorite portions of Old Testament scripture. I, I've come back to it so many times through the years. And I've gauged my own experience about what goes on in Second Chronicles 34. And maybe you're not too used to the Chronicles or maybe you're not too used to Zephaniah. So we're looking at some, maybe some fresh ground here tonight that we haven't looked at in a while. So 2 Chronicles 34, this is Josiah, who is a cousin to the prophet Zephaniah. There's a reason why Zephaniah lays out his genealogy, so you'll know who he is. And so in 2 Chronicles 34, it says Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Now, I'm, we're going to use some ages here tonight, and I want you to really think carefully about your age. 
We're going to look at an eight-year-old. We're going to look at a 16-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 26-year-old, and a 39-year-old. So don't tell me you can't relate to that. Somebody's got to be near. Some, everybody here has got to be somewhere near that age. Of course, I kind of wish I was a little nearer to 39. But anyway, <laughs> I, that's, I'm going to have to go to the 39-year-old to really identify. But this little boy became king when he was eight years old. Now, you think about, if you know anything about the history of kings and kingdoms and queens and such, there's a lot of drama that goes on in the kingdoms. There's a lot of cutthroat type stuff. There's a lot of backstabbing. I mean, there's all kinds of jockeying for position. But somehow or another, you know, in my mind, I can just picture, I don't know how old Zephaniah was, but I can just picture maybe they were little boys together. Or maybe Zephaniah was in his 20s or 30s or whatever. But there's some connection going on here between Zephaniah and Josiah, his cousin, the king. And he is crowned as king at eight years old. Now you think about how tender and influential someone would be at eight years old. I'm so glad that the word of God gets to Josiah. I'm so glad that the influence that comes to him uh, got to him and affected him in such a way. Notice it says that he was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years. Now am I right with my math? That puts it at 39. Hey, I did it. All right. So we're going from age 8 to 39, and this is the time frame in which Zephaniah is prophesying. It says, He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David his father, and declined not neither, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, age 16, that's a significant age in our society, is it not? That's the age that people get their, normally get their driver's license. I remember very well the, the freedom that I felt and experienced, or at least I, in my mind I thought I had. You know, when I got my driver's license, I thought, you know, I technically could drive anywhere I wanted to in the United States. <laughs> now, there was, of course, a few hooks and caveats to that. First of all, I didn't have the money to put the gas in the car to drive all over the United States, you know. Harold McCool had to provide me with that. But technically, you know, you feel that freedom at age 16. I think it's interesting to think about what Josiah the king was doing at age 16. In the eighth year of his reign, that's age 16 for Josiah, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. Isn't that interesting? That when he was 16 years old, that's the time that a lot of people are thinking about going to college, Right? You know, 17, 18, something like that. 16, 17, 18, 19. So here is Josiah. And there's nothing wrong with going to college. I don't mean that. I mean, I've, I've had three, two that have gone to college and one that's in it now. There's nothing wrong with that. But you think about how that is such a significant and impressionable age. And how many of God's children, when they do go to college, especially in the environment and culture that we're in today, their minds can be diverted or distracted or perverted away from sound, fundamental, hopefully Bible teaching and morality that they've been given in their, in their home. You know, it's a very impressionable age. And here we have a great example of a 16-year-old who is seeking God at that age. Now, you, you can go to college and seek God too. There's no question about that. But you can't overlook the statistics that are out there today that such a large majority of young people who go to college and they get their minds get perverted by the things that they hear. And then the next thing you know, they, they, as they say, lose their religion. 
So that's something that we need to be conscious of. Praise God, we have so many faithful young people, especially so many that are in college right now that are, whose minds are not being taken away from the fundamentals of Christian faith which are taught in the Word of God. Praise God for that. And here's Josiah at 16 years old. It says he begins to seek the Lord. What do you think he was hearing? <laughs> I don't think he was listening to rap music every night. <laughs> Is that too close to home? <laughs> I don't think he was listening to rock music every night. I don't think he was doing like I was doing at age 16 and trying to see how many eagle songs he could memorize, you know, to impress you know, whoever might by chance listen to me play music, which wasn't many back in those days. You know, I don't think he was doing those things. He was hearing something that influenced him to seek God. You see, now this goes without saying, obviously this is a born-again child of God, right? I mean, he's, he's got to have the Spirit of God in his heart already to seek God. So God has tendered his heart. God has touched his heart. Might have been when he was five. Might have been when he was eight. Might have been when he was 16. Who knows? But the Lord got there first to tender the heart of Josiah. And then he begins to seek the Lord. That's a great lesson, isn't it? You know, you're born again as a child of God, whether it's Paul on the road to Damascus or John the Baptist in the womb of his mother who was born again as a baby before he was born into the world. You know, the child of God is called upon to seek the Lord. You know, he, t he touches our heart. He gives us life so that we will continue to seek Him and get to know Him even better. John the Baptist, who was born again as a baby, he knew the Lord a lot better when he got on up to be a, a young adult and a man as he learned more about the Lord. You see, seek the Lord. That's what Josiah is doing at 16 years old. Most of us are thinking about getting our driver's license at 16 years old. There's nothing wrong with that. And we also want to be conscious of seeking the Lord at an early age. See, I've, I've told many young people, and I've looked in the mirror and told this to myself too, the great habits that you put in place as a young person are going to carry you through dark and difficult times. If you get the habit of seeking the Lord from Sunday to Sunday and from week to week or you know, bi-weekly even, if you put that habit in your life, you're a lot less prone to drift away from that habit as you get older. I can remember when I was in college, 20, 21 years old, and there, I went to a few churches up there in Birmingham, and I'm accepting Vestavia Church from this because I, I did actually go to Vestavia Church a time or two, and I was, I know you can't believe this, but I was so introverted in those days that I'd go in the back and sit and listen and get out before anybody could catch me. <laughs> I, I was introverted back in those days. I went through a phase of introversion. I know y'all can't believe that. <laughs> but I went to some other churches too, just with some friends from time to time. And I grew up here in grace, and it just wasn't good enough. I just couldn't, I couldn't handle what I was hearing because it wasn't the truth. If I had a three-hour window, an hour and a half to get home, an hour and a half to get back, and maybe an hour and a half there, I'd go home out in the backwoods of Lamar County to worship and just get a little nugget of truth out there. You know, because my parents brought us up doing that, you see? And it wasn't just doing that going through the motions. It was going to hear the truth, going to hear grace. You see, once you hear grace and once you embrace grace in your life, nothing will ever satisfy you. There's no preacher in the world that's got the ability to, to dress something up that's not the truth. There's no evangelist. There's nothing in the world that will satisfy you like hearing the doctrines of grace. You're saved by grace. It's not your works. It's all the work of the Lord. I tell you, there is something in that that just rings into the heart of the born-again child of God. So 
the habits that we put in place, like Josiah, they carried him through dark times. They carried him through the next many years of his life and his reign. And remember who he is. You know, you say, well, I'm not a king, so I can't influence anybody. Oh, yes, you can. It doesn't matter if you're a king on the throne like Josiah or a queen or a prince or a prince. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. You have influence in your life, whatever age you may be. It may be limited to a, a room and a house and a kitchen and, you know, a house that you're living in and you don't, you don't have a driver's license. You can't go anywhere, but you still have influence. You have influence. And so at 16 years old, because of what Josiah is hearing, no doubt he has a connection to his cousin Zephaniah. And he's hearing something. I'm going to tell you what he's not hearing. He's not hearing the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Genesis read. You're going to see why in a minute. He's not hearing that. Because if you look at the timelines, that's why I like 2 Chronicles 34. It lays the timeline out in Josiah's life very well. So there's, there's a time coming when he's going to discover some of that stuff. But whatever he's hearing is not the Mosaic Law. Because the Mosaic Law is buried somewhere, like buried treasure. It's buried. <laughs> so at eight years old, he begins to reign. At 16 years old, he begins to seek God. Now look, verse 3. While he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year of his reign, that would be 20 years old. Now, if I do the math right, that's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's four years. You know, you think about a four-year college degree or five-year, you know, whatever. You know, he, in a sense, he got a degree in seeking the Lord. You can go to college and still and get a degree, but you can still get a degree in seeking the Lord like Josiah did. From age 16 to age 20, four years went by. And in the 12th year, that's when he was 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And you can go on and read about what he began to do. He didn't just jump in there. You know, I think about when I, when I read about Josiah, I think about the guy over in the New Testament where Jesus said a man went to build a tower. And he didn't count the cost of the tower that he was going to build. And so whenever he got to the point that he ran out of money, he just had to leave the tower half built or a fourth built. Y'all have heard me use the example, and I hope nobody's related to the person that began the racetrack over here on Highway 82. You know, but I was so excited about that racetrack going in, and it, they got a little bit done, but they ran out of money. And it's still sitting there. It's got pine trees growing up on it. And some of you that don't know what I'm talking about are going to be looking the rest of the time when you go, where was that racetrack? I'll show you sometime. Some of you know. <laughs> but... The man looked foolish because he went to build a tower and he didn't handle his budget right. I don't have enough to complete this tower. And Jesus said he looked foolish. He says, what king going to battle doesn't count up the number of his army and compare to what the other army has? You know, he'd be a foolish king. And here we have a king who didn't just jump into it at age 16 when he was very impressionable. He continued to learn and he waited for the right time. And at age 20, he begins to purge the land. Can you picture that? All of the prophets of Baal and all of the terrible idolatrous things that were going on, abortion and child sacrifice and all of the terrible practices that were occurring in, in Judah at that time from the acceptance of, of sodomy and different things that were going on. And, uh, and he's 20 years old and he says, it's time. It's time. We're going to purge the land from this, these wicked practices. And by the way, he still has not read the law of Moses. He's listening to somebody, though. 
And I believe with all my heart, Zephaniah was one of the ones he was listening to. And by the way, the first part, the first two chapters of Zephaniah, in in the first chapter, Zephaniah is just railing against the prophets of Baal and the treacherous priests and the leadership, which would have been most likely Ammon, you know, the, the predecessor of Josiah, would have been the previous king that was so wicked. And then in the second chapter, Zephaniah is railing against the adjoining nations, like the nation of Cush, which would have been in that day Ethiopia, the nation of the Philistines, the nation of Moab. He's railing the, the Syrian nation. He's railing against all those nations. Now in the third chapter, it's a little bit different. There's always hope given. And by the way, that's a pattern, if you've noticed, in all the minor prophets. Judgment, judgment, wrath is coming. You better repent. You better turn. And there's hope. See, there's always hope given. Isn't that wonderful? That's our God. That's his heart. So at 20 years old, Josiah, and you can read it on your own time if you choose to. You can go down there and just see all the stuff that he did. He did so much. He purged this. It says that he, he took all these things out. He even, he even removed the abortion clinics. He removed the places where they were murdering their children. He stamped to powder the groves. He, he took the idols and he stamped them to powder. And it says, and look at verse 8, 2 Chronicles 34. Now Josiah, in the 18th year of his reign, which I, I take to be 26 years old, if my math is right, he's now 26. He's gone from 8 years old to 16 years old, where he began to seek the Lord, to 20 years old, where he began to actively purge out the terrible things that were going on in the land. And now he's 26 years old, so he's been purging all this time, and he begins to send the people to the house of the Lord, the temple, and he tells them to repair the house of the Lord. If you want to know the history of why it needed repair, you need to go back and look at the previous three to four kings in the past of of Josiah's life. And when they came to Hilkiah the high priest, this is verse 9, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hands of of Manasseh and Ephraim and of all the remnant of Israel and of all of Judah and Benjamin and they returned to Jerusalem. What had been happening is they'd been collecting money in the days of Hezekiah and even off and on through other days. They had been collecting money to repair the temple for years and years. And they'd just been piling that money up in the temple. I mean, you could just picture a little pile of gold, silver and goods that were in the temple that were, you know, goods that were money and such, you know, treasure. And it says they finally got to the business of repairing the house of God, making God's temple look like it should. Verse 10, and they put it in the hand of the workman that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workman that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house, even to the artificers and the builders they gave to it to buy hewn stone, timber for couplings, and the floor of the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. Did you catch that? (laughs) The previous kings had destroyed these things. And the men did the work faithfully, and the overseers of them were Jehoth and Obadiah, the Levites, the sons of Merari, and Zechariah. That's a different Zechariah than the prophet that will, that's a minor prophet years later. And Meshulam, the sons of the Kohathites, to set it forward, and other Levites, and other bearers of burden, verse 13. Now, verse 14, it says, When they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. (laughs) There you go. So all of this that's been going on in the days of Josiah where he's hearing the preaching and the prophesying of Zephaniah and what's going to happen if the, if the nation doesn't turn back to God as the, as the chosen nation of God, Judah. He hasn't even had the law of God. <laughs> hasn't even had it. 
Where's, where has the law of God been? The law of Moses has been buried under the money in the house of God. Now we could draw a lot of teaching and a lot of instruction and a lot of counsel from what this teaches here. But one of the primary things that it teaches me is that if the money and the budget and the bottom line and the dollars and the salaries and the this and that and the other that relates to money, if the money is focused on in the house of God, and that's what it's all about is the budget and how much people must be giving or tithing or all this type of stuff. If that's what the house of God becomes about, it becomes a business. And the house of God is not a business. The temple of God was not a business. It was a place where God was to come and fellowship with His people, you see? Now, does that mean, well, we just quit paying the bills or we quit worrying about this? or I'm, That's not the point. The point is the emphasis was on the money. And they just let the money pile up and the money covered up what they were really there for. And it covered up the instruction of what they were there for. And that's what happens today, child of God, where churches are run like businesses with CEOs. The pastors are like CEOs, heads of companies. And the Word of God is buried in the house of God. Isn't it great to know that if, you, if God's people in the churches in which it's like that could get the money out of the way and the budgets out of the way and find the Word of God in the house of God, oh, what revival would come. It's, all, it's practically a guarantee. Did you know that? When God's people return to the true meaning of what worship is all about, it's not about a bottom line. It's not about the money. It is about the Word of God. And you see, revival's already taking place. To whatever point a, a church or a group of people or a nation or a culture or individuals are in the revival mode, you know, here is Josiah and he's listening to prophets like Zephaniah and Nahum and maybe some others like Jeremiah. And, and he's getting those nuggets of truth from them and teaching from them. And he ain't even got to the Bible yet. You see? He's just getting what they tell him. He's getting what they're relating to him and what they're teaching him. And then when he gets to the Bible, when he gets to the Word of God, things really begin to ramp up. <laughs> He's 26 years old now. He's been learning the Word of God, seeking God. He's been learning the best he could. And then they find the Word of God. And notice the impact that this has. And, and this is part of... Listen, this teaches us many things, but one thing is... Just how good God is when it comes to seeking Him. You know, there's a verse of Scripture in the New Testament, I think Brother Luke preached on it a few weeks ago, that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And when we begin to seek God, we've only tapped into the beginning of that verse. You see, you know, people say, well, I'm just not seeing God. Well, tap into seeking God and you will see God. You see? Here Josiah took what he was getting, whether it was a lot or whether it was a little, he was getting from the prophets and he began to tap into it. And the next thing you know, it's just, like a, it's just like a landslide and the whole mountain begins to come down and he begins to see things like he's never seen before. And that's the way it is with God. He's so good that when you just, you just begin to tap into him just a little bit, if you're doing it in the right frame of mind with a meek and humble spirit and you're seeking God sincerely, the next thing you know, you got a landslide on your hands and you're just riding down with this incredible, amazing door that God is opening. That's what happened with Josiah. He just began to tap, 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 tap on that door. The next thing the door opens, the next thing you know, it's this gigantic place that he's just overwhelmed by. 
And it says that they found the Word of God in the house of the Lord, the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now, I don't know this for sure, but this could actually be one of the books that Moses wrote down as God directed it to him. Now, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, my big letter Bible here is amazing. I enjoy it. It's easy to read in the small print. But could you imagine reading a book that had been penned by Moses himself under the inspiration of God, Jehovah? <laughs> that's amazing. If that is what it is, you can understand how that's just an additional blessing that God is giving them. And it's also overwhelming. Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, verse 15, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. <laughs> There's a little bit of irony in that, isn't it? <laughs> I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. That's just astonishing, you know. That's where it's supposed to be, you see. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the overseers and to the hands of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan opens it up and he begins to read the book to the king. Now I wonder, based on the king's reaction, if he wasn't reading from Deuteronomy 32 or somewhere in there where the Lord pronounces the blessings on the obedient nation. And by the way, that was a reference to Mount Gerizim, which was a, a fruitful, vegetative mountain as they came into the promised land. He, the Lord pronounced the blessings towards Mount Gerizim that if the people of God would follow the Lord and follow the law, they would be blessed. They would be like that mountain, blessed and productive. And then the curses were pronounced on the old bald mountain with hardly any scrub brush growing on it called Mount Ebal. He pronounced the curses. I wonder if that's where he was reading. Because when Josiah hears it, uh, it, when Josiah hears that, he says in verse 19 that he rent his clothes. The king took off his garment and ripped it in two. He was so overwhelmed and so convicted by what he was hearing. I can just see him sitting there just bumping his head and going, we have missed it. We've missed so much as a nation. We've missed so much as a people. We've missed the blessings of God. And here they are laid out. Where has it been? Well, it's been hidden in the house of God under the money, you see. And he says, go inquire of the Lord about this. And he goes and inquires. Somebody goes and inquires. And basically the Lord says, yep, <laughs> judgment's coming. Just like Zephaniah said, just like Nahum said, just like these Obadiah, these other guys, just like they said, judgment's coming. But because you're seeking me, Josiah, because you have sought me when you were 16 years old, when you were 20 years old, and now you're 26 years old, because you have sought me, with your whole heart, it's not going to happen in your days. Now, some of you may remember the grandfather of Josiah, Hezekiah, when it was told to him that judgment was not going to come in his days. You know, Hezekiah just basically kind of sat down and was like, oh, well, that's good. You know, it's, it's okay that it's going to destroy my future generations, but I'm just really glad that it's not going to happen to mine. <laughs> A little bit of selfishness there in Josiah's grandfather whenever it was made clear to him that that was the case. But not Josiah. Not Josiah. He could have just said, oh, thank goodness, like Hezekiah. You know, goodness, it's not going to happen to me. Thank goodness, you know. Well, sorry for you guys. <laughs> you know, down the road. I remember this is years ago. and I was talking with some, an older generation person about, I think it was Social Security. 
you know. And that, that person in the older generation, I mean, way on up in age, I was probably 35 and they were maybe in their 80s or something. We were talking about, you know, how that was going to go bankrupt. And, of course, it was never intended for, to be people's retirement by any means. But, you know, the person commented to me, well, I'll get mine, but, you know, you're not going to get yours. And I was like, well, that makes me feel really good, you know. Why don't you give me a little bit of yours and I'll save it for me down the road, you know. But that's how Hezekiah was. Well, you know, I'm going to have the blessings of God and I'm not going to lose the kingdom in my days, but, you know, you poor guys down the road. Josiah could have done that. He could have said, well, now that I know that my kingdom is secure and my days are secure, well, then, you know, we'll just sit back and do nothing. Grace and mercy will never put you on the stool of do nothing. If you see it and you understand it, it will only inspire you to do more and more and serve. And, and it's never enough. It's never enough because you can never pay back what God has done for you. So it's never an incentive to sit down and do nothing. And you know what happens? Somebody sat down and continued to read that book because they go on in that that same year, age 26, when he was, Josiah was 26, they go on and they have the greatest Passover that has ever occurred to date. We've been preaching about the God of the festival, right? You've, you've heard some of that sermons, those sermons, no doubt. And this is, this is probably, aside from the first Passover where they came out as a nation from Egypt, aside from that, this is probably the greatest Passover experience, the greatest holiday, the greatest festival that occurs in the Old Testament. And if you look at verse 16 of chapter 35, it says that Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, 35 and 1. And you go on down to verse 16. Look at what it says. This Passover that Josiah held, that he could not have held in the same spirit or way if they had not found the, the book of the law, the law of the Lord. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover, to offer burnt offerings upon the altar of the Lord according to the commandment of King Josiah. And the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. Y'all remember that? You know, the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread piggybacked right on top of the Passover the very next day. And watch verse 18. And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel, including Solomon, including David, keep such a Passover as Josiah kept and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall? Wouldn't you love to have been walking the streets of Jerusalem when that joyful feast took place? That 26-year-old king who began to seek the Lord at age 16, no doubt because of the influence of the prophets and specifically one named Zephaniah who was the royal prophet who had the royal bloodline. How many times I wonder they sat and they talked and they, he, they preached maybe to one another and he preached to, Zephaniah preached to Josiah. He begins to seek the Lord. He begins to purge the land. And then at 26 years old, they have the greatest Passover, the greatest holiday that has ever been. Now, I wish I could tell you that Josiah's ending was um, many, 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 many years later. But sadly, Josiah dies at age 39. And it's a real interesting account. You can go and read it yourself. But he basically goes out to fight against 
one of the Pharaohs who had come into their country, not to attack. The, the Pharaoh was not there to attack Judah. If you read the inspired word, you'll see that that Pharaoh, it, it appears, was on a mission from God, Jehovah, to go attack another nation as a judgment. It's very interesting. And so Josiah goes out to counter this attack, and he gets killed in the battle. Perhaps, no doubt, one of the greatest kings that ever lived. And you remember, God said, in your days, judgment, destruction is not going to come. Seems like Josiah would have wanted to be a little bit more careful with his life, you know? Because if he'd lived to 89 or to 100, you know, there was a promise there that the nation would continue not being judged during all that time, you see? But his, his reign was from age 8 until age 39. He reigned for 31 years. There's another king, you know, that you read about that reigned for 52 years. He was a pretty good king, but... You understand, Josiah cut his own life short because in that one time, he didn't listen to instruction from God. But that still doesn't discount the great revival that occurred in his 31-year reign from age 8 until 39. And I wish I could tell you, well, after that, they continued to maintain the revival, but they didn't. Now listen, here's my closing remarks. And we probably spent the least amount of time in the, in the minor prophet book of any that we've looked at, but I think it's so significant to see the influence of, of this, this prophet Zephaniah who the commentators and the historians kind of say, well, there wasn't a whole lot to him. I think that's ironic. It occurred to me maybe his prophecy was a little bland and maybe it wasn't as poetical as some of the others, but look at the, look at the outcome of his little old bland prophecy in his teaching. Isn't that the way the Lord works? You know, he'll take some, something that looks like nothing, and it's not near as, as beautiful or incredible as these others, but he'll take something like that, and the next thing you know, you've got the greatest revival that's ever been in the days of the Old Testament. <laughs> now let me say this, and I speak specifically to the 8-year-olds, to the 16-year-olds, to the 20-year-olds, to the 26-year-olds, and whatever, whoever's near all of that. <laughs> The 39-year-olds, too. Don't forget them. You know, we've had great revival here in West Alabama. Great revival. There's not any one specific thing that you could say, well, it's due to this or specifically to this. You could say a number of things. Obviously, the blessing of the mercy of God, like in the days of Nehemiah when they said, for a little space, grace has been shown unto us. But you understand that just like the days of Josiah, which was like 31 years, the people went right back to doing what they were doing before. Worshiping false gods, following the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, just almost overnight. And they fell on into severe judgment. Now, I'm not saying that to you as a warning. Oh, God's going to severely judge. You know, I'm just telling you, use that as an inspiration. Whether you're 8 or whether you're 39 or whether you're 51 like me, Whatever your age may be, use that as an inspiration to understand that to hold on to revival, you've got to get a grip on it. You see, whether you're eight or 16 or 20 or 26 or 39, all points in between, above or below. You know, that revival depends a large part on you as an individual embracing what the truth is, following what the truth is, 
pushing through difficulties from time to time. And as you know, if you're on a trail in the woods, you know, pushing through the underbrush to stay on the path so you don't get lost. And as soon as Josiah was gone, they lost it. May that not be our case. May that not be our case in terms of revival. Oh, it was a one generation revival. We don't want that. We want generation after generation to seek the truth, to seek the Lord, and to purge out from your own life the things that keep you from seeking the Lord. And follow what the Word of God says. Don't let it get buried under the pursuit of money in this world or under things that it shouldn't get buried under. Let it be the North Star that you follow in times whenever you cannot see your way. That's what the Word of God will do for you. That's how Josiah got to where he was. But then he slipped up one time, and he's dead. May the Lord bless us to listen to the prophets, specifically tonight, the royal prophet Zephaniah.